You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Morning, Pasco Vale, and welcome to another beautiful Sunday that we can gather together to share with one another the love of God and also a fellowship together in the house of the Lord. Now, for the benefit of those uh, who might have missed our earlier messages or are listening online or perhaps joining us for the very first time, welcome. Uh, We are currently working through the Kingdom series covering a number of books from the Old Testament. As you all know, um, our Bible contains 66 books telling one big story about God's kingdom. And we have defined God's kingdom as God's people living in God's place under his rule and blessing. And over the last four weeks, we've seen the establishment, we've seen the destruction, and we've seen the formation of that kingdom. Today, we'll see the progression from the formation of the kingdom as God declares how he will establish his reign. It is at this point we come to what we call a fork in the road, as two kingdoms are now prophesied, an eternal kingdom and a physical kingdom. And Andrew will bring us more about that next week with regards to the physical kingdom. The first message we learned, uh, in our first message, we learned about the Adamic, Adamic covenant. So basically, God made a covenant, and speaking to Satan, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now God promises that one born out of a woman will be wounded in a process of destroying Satan. The seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 4, 4 and 1 John 3, 8. Even in the midst of the curse, God's gracious provisions of salvation shines true. Following is a similar pattern to the Adamic covenant. God makes the fallen covenant with Adam's descendant. I will make you a great nation. This is Abraham coming in, sorry. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And we see this promise to Abraham fulfilled, literally, despite a couple of stumbling blocks along the way. Not because God, not because of what God did, but because of what man man did and tried to do in order to get, uh, to achieve his own way. Then, we looked at the Mosaic Covenant last week with his people after rescuing them from Egypt we learned last week in that we learned last week in this covenant God promised to make Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and his people's covenant with God to obey the commandments that God had established with Israel now Israel was to be God's light to this dark world that's around them they were to be separate called out, set aside, so that everyone around them would know that they worshipped Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Israel received the Mosaic law 
to guide them and to reveal to the people their sinfulness and their need for a savior. And it is this Mosaic law that Christ himself said that he did, that he came and to, not to abolish, but to fulfill. This is important as some people get confused by thinking that keeping the law saves people in the Old Testament. But the Bible is clear that salvation has always been by faith alone. It is not by our works. And the promise of salvation by faith that God had made to Abraham as part of the Abrahamic covenant still remain in effect even up to today. Now today, we will look at what we call the Davidic covenant, or from David. The covenant where God promises a descendant of David will reign on the throne over the people of God. This then leads us to our Bible reading in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in the house of Sidah, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Now as explained in the past messages, the historical writing style of the time mainly only recorded the words that one spoke or actions that one did. Rarely do we see body language or tone of voice or context being necessarily mentioned in the scriptures because it is not the writing style of that time. Now this is important for us to understand because just reading the verses alone, it would seem that David was just trying to be nice and was trying to do something nice for God, isn't it? Even the prophet Nathan had no issue with what he had said and replied to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Then some may ask, why the response from God? Why did God say those following words in verses 4 to 17? These verses can be broken up into three key points. I brought you here, I will give rest to my people, and I will establish my king. Now let's look at the first point, I brought you here. In verses 4 to 5, we read that the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges or rulers of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, reading God's response, some might be thinking, That is not very nice. David was just trying to do something nice for you, isn't it? Why do you need to be so mean to him by being so sarcastic? Friends, I'm sure we've all been in a, circumstance, in, in a similar circumstance, haven't we? As a matter of fact, a similar situation happened to me just not so long ago, and it actually happened right around the same time last year. It was near the end of the financial year, and dreaded performance review was just around the corner. Being the responsible manager, I felt it was important to give my team 
their performance review right on the 30th of June. So that, so that they can get a clean start for the financial year. But I thought by doing so, I would make a good impression on my boss and show him what good, manage, what good management looked like because often my performance review was always late. Despite my good intentions and my colleagues appreciating what I've done, I got told off by my director for jumping the gun before he was ready. He, was not in, he had not instructed me to do the performance review as he was not ready with the salary packages that he had planned. He had plans to show the staff his appreciation for the efforts for that last year and he wanted to do it personally. You see, whilst I had every good intention, I was making decisions outside of his plans and taking things into my own hands, assuming I knew what my boss wanted. You'd be glad to know I'm not making the same mistake this year. Friends, as Christians, sometimes we behave a little bit like that, don't we? We start making plans or doing certain things, thinking, I'm sure that is what God wants. We play, we play God, thinking we know what God needs better than what God's will is. We project our wants and our needs as what God wants and needs. We think we are doing this for God, but in essence, we are playing God. To be clear, I'm not suggesting we do not serve or take initiative. This was not the issue, quite the contrary. Service in the Lord is what God desires. And He desires all of us, all of us to be like David. But what is frowned upon here is when we do things that are not what God has desired. Much like how I acted whilst good intentions was to obstruct what my boss had planned. Did I seek his permission or opinion about doing the performance review on time? It was his business after all. Did I talk to him about that situation? Did I ask him what was his intention? This is why God had to humble David. He did so by reminding him of who he is and where he came from and how God brought him to where he is today. He was just a shepherd boy who was tending sheep in the pastures. It was God that gave him victory over his enemies. It was God who protected him from King Saul who tried to kill him. David was not king because he earned his right to be seated on that throne. David was king because God brought him there. It was God that made his name known like the great ones of the earth. Friends, the important part of this passage is God did not command even his servants to build a temple of cedar. God had not finished the work he had planned, and instead what David had tried to do was to contain, constrain God's work by containing him, containing him in a container of four walls of David's choice in David's appointed time. God in verse 4 explains that he never asked for a house to be built for which he was to dwell. He never lived in a house since the day he, he delivered Israel from Egypt. If God desired or wanted a house to be built, he would have commanded it 
and it would have been done just as he commanded the tent to be established in the manner that he had commanded. You see, friends, by doing what David did, whilst he perhaps had good intentions, it almost seemed as if he pitied God was in the tent and needed to do something about that. God, in his response, was humbling David to remind him that he was Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider. It is he, if he needed a house to dwell in, he would have commanded it. But God had other plans. One of which is probably because he did not want the Israelites to think that God is confined by the four walls of that, of that temple that David wanted to build. God wanted to show David that he was not like the other gods that needed a temple in order for him to work. God is everywhere. He's constantly on the move. Who are we to confine God to a fixed place? Friends, you'll learn later on in other parts of Scripture how a temple caused so many Jews to think that God only existed within the temple. And when the temple was destroyed, many thought that God was defeated. Friends, do we think like David sometimes, that God is only present in the confines of the temple or the church building? God is everywhere. And whilst our intentions are good by building him a, a luxurious and spacious place for him to dwell and to be worshipped, we need to be ready to move as God has called us to. And to remind ourselves that God is not confined to these four walls of this building. We need to be ready to go. We need to be ready to move when God calls us to go. To proclaim the gospel wherever God is. Take for example, if God was to say to you, Pascoville Church today, to move to some other location, are we prepared to move? Or are we fixated on the fact that we have built this church here and therefore we stay, we stay here and do what God wants? Are we dictating to God the terms of our service or our worship? Now, don't worry. I'm not suggesting we move at this right this moment. But I want to ask you. I want you to ask yourself: Are you the one making the decision for the church, or is God making the decisions for Pascoville Church of Christ? Have we become as David, thinking that we need to do something for God, as opposed to asking God? What does he want done? God reminds David that he is his servant in verse 5 and in verse 8. Our attitude towards God should be that of servanthood to God as the king. Our role is to serve, not dictate what God wants or does not want. As some of us are in the habit of doing. As a sinner, as a sinner, who are we to tell a holy God how he should do things or dictate what, 
where or what he needs to reside in. We are to be obedient to his commands. And we ought to seek his will so that we can experience the rest that he has intended for his people. And God will give his people rest. Israel is not David's people. Israel is God's people. We are God's people. The church is not my church or the board's church. It is God's church. And we are here to serve and to see God's will be fulfilled in Pascoville Church of Christ. It is only then will we experience the true rest of our Lord. From this slide, we can see that God's people have been on the move with nowhere to rest. I'm not sure if you can make out the, the map there. From Ur of the Chaldeans to Haran to Seshim to Hebron to Bethel, Ai, Beersheba to Egypt, and finally setting down in the promised land of Canaan. They have been on a constant state of uncertainty from the get-go. For the command to, of Abraham to go right up to the promised land. It's hard to find peace when you're constantly on the move with nowhere to call home, isn't it? That is why even when Moses led the Jews out of Egypt and they rather returned to a life of slavery, they wandered around in a desert for over 40 years. But God keeps his covenant with his people. And we see in Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 to 45, that God fulfilled this promise by giving to Israel all the land that he swore to give to, his, to their fathers. And they took possession of it and settled there. He gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one, not one of all the enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given them all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the God, good promises that Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All, all came to pass. All of God's promises came to pass. Friends, what God has promised, God will do. It might not be as at the speed that we desire, but it will certainly come. We may not live even to see it happen, but God has plans for His people. Just as He has plans for each and every one of us sitting in this room right now. God has a plan for you. Whatever challenges each one of us might be going through right now, I want you to know this one thing. If we find our rest in God, it will not be taken away from you. This we know because God has promised to us, promised it to us, and God keeps His covenant with us. Every single word of it. Friends, but are we willing to keep our covenant with Him? God is willing to keep every promise He's given to you. But are we willing to keep our covenants and our promises to Him, to listen to Him, to obey Him, 
and to walk in His light. Last but not least, God says He will establish my King. God will appoint a place for my people and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel. And I will give you rest, all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Not like the way King David made a house for God to rest. God will make a house for himself. And my friends, we are all included in it. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But by my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now it will not be unusual for David to assume that the fulfillment of this covenant was to be through his son Solomon. But we know, we know that this was not the case, but that God was pointing to a future king, a future king, one who will rule eternal with whom God's eternal peace rest upon. David could only see directly what he sees in front of him. But God saw a bigger plan for his kingdom. God's kingdom, not David's kingdom, will become a blessing to the nations as God envisioned. But David's kingdom will go into exile and we'll hear more about that from Andrew who will give you the message next week. God's kingdom for which David's descendant will play a part was the prophecy of an eternal kingdom that was to come. An eternal kingdom that God had planned for his people, called by his name and living in his peace. This, my friend, is called the Davidic covenant. God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. To conclude, friends, this brings us to the fork as we continue with our series. As the physical kingdom declines, we see God's eternal kingdom prophesied and rise. The new king obviously points to Jesus, who will be punished on man's behalf. But whoever believes in him will receive salvation as promised by God. And God keeps his promises with his people. Friends, we cannot work for our salvation. No matter how hard we try, we will not be able to attain the standards as set out in the law. The law was given not as means of salvation, but as a means to highlight the sinfulness, the sinfulness of our ways. But God knows all of that, and God does not leave us without redemption. 
He loves us so dearly that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross for each and every one of us so that we may be reconciled to Him. God offers His yoke and an opportunity to learn from Him for He is gentle and lowly in heart. And in Him we will find rest for our souls and eternal rest. Not one of a physical one, but one that will last forever. Remember where we came from and how God brought you here. Remember that our rest comes from Him because He, we are called His people. And remember that He is our King eternal and in Him we will find our eternal rest. Friends, no matter what you are going through right this minute, always remember this, that God loves you. God loves you and He will not forsake you despite our rebellion. But whilst His love is unconditional, we need also to make a commitment to remain in Him, to remain His people. And if we truly want to enjoy the fullness of the peace, that He brings, we need to love others as well, which is what God has commanded each and every one of us to do. Friends, I hope the message today has spoken to you in some way. And I hope that you're excited to find out more about this kingdom that God has provided. We encourage all of you to continue to follow through the Old Testament series and we look into the, as we look into the exile of Israel in Hosea chapter 1. It is another law in the Old Testament. But even in that law, we see God's redemptive plan and the rebuilding of His kingdom. Not the physical one. Not the physical one, but the eternal one. Not the one constrained by these four walls, but the one that is created by God for eternity. This is the God that we worship. This is the kingdom that we are so privileged to be part of. And I hope you all are appreciative of that and to commit our hearts to walk with the Lord as He has commanded us to. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you so much for keeping your promises to us. We thank you that when we called you Lord and Savior and we repent for our sins, you made a promise to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life. We thank you for the privilege, for we are not worthy yet. You reached out to us. You loved us unconditionally. Even to the end of our rebellion, you still reach out and try continuously to reach out to each one of us. Forgive us, Lord, for not appreciating that love. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've taken your love as well for granted. Help us to remember our commitment to you, to obey you, to repent from our ways, and to return back to your fold. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for this kingdom that you've created that will never perish. One that we have 
a hope and we can look forward to when we rest eter- when we rest eventually in your eternal peace. Lord, we pray that you convict each and every one of our hearts today. Where we have put obstacles in our way of returning back to you, we pray, dear Lord, that you remove those obstacles or we will remove those obstacles and help us to turn our eyes to you, to reignite our love for you and your love for others around us. Thank you, God, for today. And we pray that you speak to each and every one of us today. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.